Rams are playing the Cardinals again. It's a rematch. We arrived at week 10. The Cardinals are coming to SoFi Stadium, Victor. So you know who we had to call? The OG, triple OG, compa, Jose M. Romero uh, from the Arizona Republic. Cardinals beat reporter. And Jose, we just saw you, I want to say a month ago, not that long ago, but we're glad to have you back on. But Jose, there's a big mystery going around here at House of Horns. Jose M. Romero. What's the M for? I already asked you because I'm a good reporter like that. Yep. But Victor's been wondering, the people at House of Horns have been wondering, what's the M stand for in the middle name? The M is for Miguel. Um, there's no like real significance or rhyme or reason to it. There's no, like, I don't, I have no idea why my parents went with that for the middle name. Um, I have the same first and last name as my dad, but his middle name is Manuel. Um, and in fact, he's, his birth name is Joseph, but at some point he became like super politicized, you know, and said, I don't want to be Joseph no more, man. I want to be Jose. So I guess probably during that time in his life, you know, they were like, well, the next, if we ever have a boy, we're going to name him Jose. So there you go. That's there it. There you go. That's a good story. And, and I, I think you guys like to go with the, with the M's a lot for the middle names. It sound, sounded like there from the history. That was, yeah, that's it. Cause I was, you know, cause I'd like to be able to say I'm a junior or I'm a, you know, Jose Romero the second, but we don't have uh -huh. the same middle name. So I guess that doesn't really qualify me. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, he, my dad is so like well-known back home. You know, like he's really done a lot in the community and he's such a, and I know this is way off topic, but he's, he's just done so much and, and is so well known up there in the Latino community that I kind of had to differentiate myself, like make my own name, I guess. And I did, and I have, but you know, he was always Jose Romero. And then, so I just threw the M in there because, you know, now when people... I swear, even to this day, people are like, hey, I didn't know that you, you know, your dad wrote newspaper articles. So, you know, yeah, that's what it is. Look at that. You know, that's even deeper on the story of why the M. So I appreciate yeah. that, given the insight. And, you know, the funny thing about it, Jose, when, when you left here on the podcast, I started calling uh, Victor by his middle name. <laughs> you know, every time yeah. I introduce it, I just, I just, it just sounds better. It's like a novella, you know, like a, a like a character in a novella. Yeah. Victor Javier Corona. You know, mine's Gilberto Antonio Manzano. So I think these are all, it sounds oh, better. Perfect. So, uh, Victor, if you have a story for your middle name, feel free to share. Marco yeah. Antonio Solis. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I better, actually. Right? <laughs> I, Especially if you have like a, a novella announcer, guys. Like, <laughs> yes. You know, some guy with a deep voice is announcing everybody on the show. Yeah, no, it's and it's and it's a great way to. We should kind of use that uh, going forward, Gilbert. But my my story actually has to do when I was at, at a CSUN, uh My professor there, Jose Benavides, he told me he's like, "Hey, do you have a middle name?" And I was like, "Yeah, my my name is uh, Victor Javier Corona." And he's like, "You know what? That sounds better. You should use that more." And if you go to my profile on my Twitter, I've you ever since he told me that I've used it and. Honestly, it it helps, you know, for, you know, it, it's helped me. Hmm, yeah. See, I, I like that. I like the middle name. I'm glad we established that here. Uh, but at the end of the show, we have one more question for you uh, that Victor will ask you because it's, it's one that really kind of grinds my gears. And but <laughs> going off of that, it's a transition. I'm, I'm actually getting good at this hosting stuff here. But grinding my gears, why is it every time I see Kyler Murray going viral, he's mad at somebody? He's always angry. He's shouting at people uh, yeah. at Cliff. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, teammates. That's the first question I have here. Is there a, a point uh, for a frustration level that Kyle Murray just can't, you know, control right now? Or, or me? It's just me looking at the at the Twitter on my phone. Uh, so yeah. you, you're there every day, uh, Jose. 
uh, Miguel Romero. I'm just, just do that the whole time. Um, <laughs> what is the frustration level like for Kyler Murray? Does Kyler Murray even have a middle name? I don't know. I forgot the question, but how, how is he doing? He does. I don't remember what it is, but he does. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it, I mean, he's he's a competitor, right? He's a pretty fierce competitor. He's one of those guys that, that – he even says it. He's like, I want to win. I want to win all the time. Win it, win at everything. And, you know, I think getting the contract extension kind of emboldened him more. It made him more like vocal, um, kind of gave him a little bit more courage to, to be that guy who can get in people's faces and, um, you know, to be a guy who's not afraid to do that. And I, and guys, I think guys pre appreciate it for the most part. Uh, I know Deandre Hopkins does and Hopkins has been around for a long time. So, um, you know, a lot of that, but you, you know, the, the coach and the player can, can say in press conferences, oh, you know, it happens during the game because it's, you know, the heat of the battle, whatever. But I mean, there's, there's, there's has to be a, a degree of frustration there on his part. I mean, he wants to win so bad and this team just isn't winning and they look bad losing. So there, I, I have to feel like there is something uh, that underlying here that's really frustrating him about the way this season has gone. Um, and that kind of leads him to be as outspoken as he is. And, you know, cause he's trying, trying so hard to get victories. Uh, Jose talking about D hop. Uh, how has he been since he came back? How has the offense looked since uh, he's been back? And also how has the addition of Robbie Anderson, how, how has he done? Well, Robbie Anderson is just, I mean, that that's one of the big mysteries. He's, this is a guy that's been here for about a month already and, and has one catch, one, one catch for minus four yards. And, and, you know, you bring a guy in to, who has the size and the experience, a guy you can maybe take deep shots with because he has the speed, a guy you can throw jump balls to because, um, because the only other guy is A.J. Green, and he's basically been phased out of the offense completely. So, um, you know, they have that vertical threat in him and they don't use him. They're just not using him. I mean, I think they've targeted him maybe, you know, eight to 10 times over the last few games. Um, and it's just, it's almost like, okay, let's see if we can throw the ball to Robbie and see if he can get it, you know? And that's what it comes down to. He's not really running like a, any super special route or anything. He's just going downfield. They're trying to chuck it up to him and uh, last week, Kingsbury said we're gonna we're gonna try to force feed the ball to him a little bit more. They really didn't, you know, against uh, against the Seahawks. So that's Robbie Anderson, a guy. I mean, there's really nothing more I can say. He just hasn't been. He hasn't done anything. Um, and when it comes to when it comes to Hopkins, a uh, huge difference maker. I mean, they they probably have thrown to him, you know, double digit times in the last couple of games. They just keep. I mean, he's really the focal point. He's really what they have on offense. He is the weapon right now. Um, really, nobody else is producing a whole lot. That's why they're three and six, or one of the many reasons they're three and six. And the Seahawks were were smart. You know, they they says, look, they said, look, we know you're not really going to run the ball on us because you don't have a great running game. So we're just going to, you know, bracket too high against. Uh, against Hopkins and he caught a TD, but after that finished with 36 yards in the game. And before that he had hundred, 200 yard games and, and double digit receptions against the Vikings and the team they played before that. So, uh, you know, Hey, Hopkins is great in the locker room. Um, great player, obviously on the field it makes a huge difference, but you know, I think I would, I would think if I'm the Rams, you know, I just do what the Seahawks did and they're probably going to have success. 
Go ahead, Vic. Uh, no, I was gonna. I was gonna ask. Um, can you kind of shed light on uh, uh, the whole Steve Kahn and Patrick Peterson? What happened a couple of weeks ago? Um, I, I know it wasn't in our questions, but I I, it, I started thinking about it just because of you know what's happened lately with with the Cardinals. Well, uh, Peterson was obviously uh, he was a really great player here for a number of years. He was a Pro Bowler. Um, you know, started his career here, was a high draft pick and <clears throat> had a lot of success was, um, but then when it was time to, uh, when free agency came and he had a chance to, to go somewhere else, um, I guess he felt really disrespected by the Cardinals that they didn't really, they kind of cast him aside and were like, I mean, you know, we'll resign you, but we'll resign you at this number and not really what you're worth in his mind. So, uh, you know, Patrick Peterson is a guy clearly who is really driven by, by, you know, being slighted like that. So in his mind, he felt disrespected. He went to Minnesota, obviously playing against the, C uh, the Cardinals. His former team was a huge deal for him. He celebrated everything, even plays he wasn't even involved in. He's out there celebrating. So, so um, clearly he had an ax to grind against the Cardinals, against Steve Kime, the general manager, um, you know, against the organization. I, the, the Cardinals kind of played it off like, man, we don't even know what this guy's talking about. You know, we, they denied whatever the allegations that he made. And they said, you know, we were really glad that, that he played for us. And Kingsbury took the high road and says, look, he's a great player. And, you know, he has a right to talk because he's got a ton of experience in this league. So I think Peterson probably made a bigger deal of it than it actually was. That being said, if a guy feels that motivated and it feels that, you know, upset the way that things went down, and if that's what it takes to get him going, shoot, Patrick Peterson's having a pretty good year. So, yeah, uh, Jose, I feel like uh, we're asking a bunch of drama questions. Victor likes drama because he has a, a novella for, uh, yeah. name. Uh, so, yeah, we go with Kyle Murray being uh, mad and to the, the feud here. Uh, but I think we have one more drama question later. I'll let Victor handle that. He's a novella insider here. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but go ahead, yeah, last time we had you on, we talked about Isaiah Simmons, and I saw that he got a pick six against mm -hmm. the Saints. How has he developed, and has he turned into the guy that people expected him to be uh, when he was drafted uh, number eight in the 2020 draft? I think he's getting there. Uh, better and better every week since the beginning of the year. You know, um, they they move him around a lot. He plays inside. He plays outside and linebacker. He covers guys like a cornerback. Um, you know, he pays the price sometimes when, when, when they put him on, uh, on the tight end, uh, the first tight the, on Travis Kelsey in week one, boy, he just got lit up. And then, and then they had him, um, against the, the Seahawks three headed monster of tight ends. And he struggled against them too. I'm pretty, I think the Seahawks hit like four tight end screens for some big, big gains. And I know Simmons was involved in the coverage on at least one or two of them. So the, the coverage part, the pass coverage, I think is a work in progress. The tackling and the athleticism and the playmaking, I mean, that's there. That's that's there for him. He's hes that good. Um, you know, the def to be honest, the defense has been overworked. I mean, they they just looked tired last week when, when the game was on the line and they needed to make stops. They couldn't do it. In the fourth quarter, they just got run down by Kenneth Walker and the Seahawks running back and the offense. They just wore them down down the stretch there. And this is a defense that has really carried this team, you know, pretty much all season because the offense has been so inconsistent and so, you know, uncreative. Is that a word? Uncreative. Lacking creativity. I work. But, 
Um, that's, you know, that the defense has been everything. And, you know, for them to have a, a bad last couple of games is probably a sign that, look, we're overworked. I mean, we need the offense to help us out. So that's where that is. Well, Jose, the, the Cardinals don't have to worry about a ground game for the Rams because they haven't found yeah. it all year. Uh, they've been pretty bad on the ground. They, they can't figure out who's their lead back. They have five cooks in the kitchen and they can't pick one. So don't worry about that. If you're listening to the show and you're, you're a Cardinals fan. Don't worry about the ground game uh, there. But on the flip side uh, with this defense, and I'm actually surprised you're saying this defense is actually doing better uh, than the offense. You think from the outside looking in, it'll be, it'd be more of a the, the, the running game. I mean, the running show of Cliff with Kyler and, and DeAndre Hopkins. So that's, a, that's an interesting kind of point of view. But I guess I ask you this, this because when you play the Rams and you have a, a stout pass rush or one Pro Bowl pass rusher, you usually win the game because they can't protect all year. So, you know, what's the, what's the pass rush like here? I'm not even sure if J.J. Watt's healthy. I should do my research. Uh, but is there something going on here with the, with the front that they, they could make Matthew Stafford be uncomfortable out there? Well, I mean, you know, they've had – They've had a couple good games, but they've had a lot of games where they haven't where they haven't really shown up. And um, you know, Geno Smith had all day to throw. You know, and, and even the times that they flushed him, they got him a couple times. I think they got him, you know, um, three times. But uh, the, even the times when he was flushed out, he was able to turn it up field and get big gains. Um, the, the Seahawks just call better plays, you know. The Cardinals' play calling has been a huge issue, but that's another story. That's an offensive thing. Defensively, um, you know, I, the, the pass rush is one of those things for the Cardinals that has been lacking. And um, you know, JJ Watt is gonna—he's—he's he's a guy who's gonna give you everything he has. Um, and then it's—it's it's not always gonna result in the sacks. Maybe it'll turn in a play a different way, or he'll help with the tackle, or you know, force a team to do something else. But let's be honest—I mean, the guys closer to the end of his career, you know, he's not going to, he's not going to be as effective and dominant as he used to be. And then that's makes it incumbent on the other players to step forward and guys like Marcus Golden and Victor Dimukeji and um, you know, some of the other guys, the outside backers, they're missing one of their best pass rushers, Dennis Gardek, who's injured. So uh, you know, that again, there's a long list of things that have not gone well. There's a long list of things that just have underperformed and pass rush is one of them. And Jose, I got one um, kind of me mental question here, like the the mental element, because and I asked this because I saw it with the Rams and the 49ers. They, they've lost eight straight to them in the regular season, and when they fell behind to the 49ers, the Rams just had a mental collapse. They they weren't in the game. They're like, here we go again. So they're gonna be on the different side of this rivalry here with the Cardinals because the Rams tend to have the Cardinals number, and I know the the Cardinals beat the Rams last year at SoFi, so maybe there's some confidence there. But say maybe the Cardinals are falling behind and they're already three and six. They know the history with the Rams. Do you think that could be a, a, an issue where they're getting frustrated? They're giving up. They're, they're, they keep thinking about the rivalry too much. It might. I mean, you know, um, they went to Minnesota and they haven't they haven't won in Minnesota since before they were the Arizona Cardinals. So, I mean, that's we're talking about the last time they beat Minnesota there in Minneapolis was when they were the St. Louis Cardinals. So so, you know. Again, that streak continued, but they um, they find a way to stay in games and make them close. Uh, but I do think the Rams have some some sort of mojo going here. Uh, the playoff game is really the one that sticks in the craw of the Cardinals. They, the you know, when training camp first came, when when training camp started, you know, the players were asked, you know, does that loss and the way you guys lost that game and how badly you performed, does that still, 
you know, in on your minds. And most of the players were like, hey, yeah, of course. We that was kind of what fueled us in the offseason to try to improve and be a better team. So there's definitely no lack of motivation to beat the Rams. But that being said, you know, the you know, it's so what what's the expression? Uh the Rams live rent free in their head sometimes. Yeah. And um and I think that's a big part of it. I think two teams that are struggling here, obviously. Um, someone, someone is going to stay in the race for the division, and the other team is probably just going to be faded out for good. Jose, keeping up with the novella theme here for me, uh, I wanted to ask you about we've seen how problematic things have been with the organization. Do you, and I know that uh, Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Heim uh, signed uh, um, extensions during the offseason. Do you see any of them, their job being in jeopardy once the season ends, if, if, if the trend continues as they're going right now? Definitely. I mean, that's, that's a great question, and I, that's something I had written down before we started the show. Like, that's, that is the topic right now. I mean, all over the radio and, and the chats and the podcasts and stuff, why did, we, why did the Cardinals owner Michael Bidwell sign these guys, Kime, uh, Murray, Kingsbury, why did they get signed to extensions when they really haven't proven a whole lot, especially in the case of Kingsbury and Murray? Um, you know, obviously they went to the playoffs last year. There was a feeling that they could build off of that and the momentum would carry over. It hasn't. And now you have all the naysayers and the doubters, and there are a lot of them here for sure. I mean, Phoenix is a pretty laid back place, but Cardinals fans, you know, they let, they're letting this team have it. And um, there's a lot of uh, talk of, there's been talk all year about Kingsbury being fired in the middle of the season. You know, two teams have already done it. We've seen it. So, um, but I think that Michael Bidwell kind of, kind of has to, he's already kind of made his bed with this, right? He's, he's signed these guys to extensions. He's got to roll with them. Um, I think if this continues at the end of the year, maybe we see changes. But I definitely think they play out the season this way. Um, but this team's got to get better, and they have to show improvement because there has to be some sort of return on the investment. And right now, there isn't. Wow, so it's a lot of negative energy going around there uh, in Glendale, Arizona. I feel like uh, Jose, and uh, you know, we'll end with this as a fun one. This is Victor had a, a nice poll that he posted on the Compass on the Beat Twitter account, and. You know, I guess I could be the negative one here. You know, I'm not a big fan of hearing constant Christmas music all season long or holidays. So, you know, I'm not going to be a Grinch here and say, hey, you can't play Christmas music, for, you know, at all times. I'm just say, hey, just don't do it before Thanksgiving. So the debate was, when is it okay to start play, playing Christmas music? Uh, is it after Halloween, which I don't think it is, December 1st, around Thanksgiving? When do you think it's appropriate time to get in the, uh, the, the cheery spirit? I'm with you. I think Thanksgiving and, and thereafter. And anything before that is too early. It's too excessive. I mean, come on, man. When you got kids and you have work and you have all this other stuff, that's the last thing you're thinking about is, oh, let's find the Christmas music station. You know, oh, let's go to Starbucks and get the pumpkin latte. You know, whatever. <laughs> it's like, you know, why? Why? So, uh, I'm not a, like a terrestrial radio listener per se too much, anyways, but. Um, but I would definitely say, and my wife will totally take the opposite viewpoint. She will, she'll put on Christmas music on October 28th. <laughs> wow. So, you know, for, so, but for me, no way, man. No, it's gotta be it. the holiday season is Thanksgiving, football on Thanksgiving, 
then we can play the Christmas music whenever, all the time, whatever. And um, and then right up until shoot December twenty sixth for all I care. See, that's why we like you so much here on House of Points, <laughs> right, Victor? He has the right answer. Yeah, uh, Jose Miguel Romero. Before you go, uh, please plug anything you got coming up. Uh, where can uh, people find you and let yeah. us know what stories you're working on? I appreciate it. Uh, Romero Jose M. Twitter. Um, uh, I'm going to Mexico City here in a couple weeks with the nice. Cardinals when they play the 49ers. I'm really, really, really excited for that, you guys. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a place I've always wanted to go to. It's um, it's like going to be sort of like returning to roots. Like I, I think my roots in Mexico are, you know, I, I don't have many family left in the country anymore. I don't think, but um, I think it will be a, a very emotional visit for me because I've always felt really strong about that, that heritage and uh, to be able to go there and, and see, you know, the, the Aztec period, the ruins and the pyramids and the history and the Museo de Antropología and all the different stuff, you know, that, that really is the root of my background, I think is going to be a, a very special experience for me. And I'm, I'm really, really, really looking forward to that. Plus it's the start of the world cup. So I'm going to be down there for Mexico's first world cup game um there's gonna i mean it's gonna be nuts it's gonna be wild with how, how much they love football down there yeah it's gonna be a good time we're excited for you uh jose miguel uh just introduce yourself every time you're down there jose miguel every time you're <laughs> in mexico city but we appreciate the time jose miguel uh and you know enjoy that trip you got one more i'll see you in la at sofi stadium again appreciate the time all right guys take care have a good one